Welcome to the first episode of Rocktown Emergencies. For those of you who don't know what it is, uh, my name is Paul Helmuth and I'm your host. My intent with Rocktown Emergencies is to interview and talk about emergency services predominantly within the Shenandoah Valley, uh, you know, covering areas in Shenandoah County, Harrisonburg, Rockingham County, Stanton Augusta, Waynesboro, uh, maybe over into Nelson, Albemarle, Charlottesville, but talk about emergency services here that affect us. Now, we may be able to broaden that scope just a little bit as we go, but I want to start with uh, our very first guest. So I want to welcome Deputy Chief Matt Tobia. He's the newly hired Deputy Chief for the Harrisonburg Fire Department. Welcome. Hey, Paul. How are you doing? I'm fine. So uh, I, I went back and looked to see why are we starting this podcast with episode one, because I actually thought of this idea all the way back in 2016. We had a large mountain fire and there were a lot of questions going on about, hey, what's going on? And, you know, there's a there was a lot of focus on emergency services. And I wanted to take the time to focus on that. Well, as life goes, we didn't get around to it or I didn't get around to it. So several weeks ago, I was working in a station in Rockingham County and was talking to some guys and they said, you know, we'd really like to know about Harrisonburg's new deputy chief. So I thought this was a good time to actually kick it off and start with it. So how long have you been with the Harrisonburg Fire Department? So uh, I'm coming up on 60 whole days in the Harrisonburg Fire Department. 60 days. <laughs> That's correct. They haven't <laughs> fired me yet, so I, I suppose I'm doing okay, but I still have about 330 days of probationary time to go. So uh, Chief Bennett has ample opportunity. Are you currently the newest employee of the fire department? Uh, I'm pretty close. I'm not sure. I, I don't know if I'm the newest full-time. I think uh, firefighter Emily Walter got yes. hired full-time after I had started and uh, Greg Pelletier, who's oh, now part-time with us. Right. I think he actually started uh, a few days after I did. So you're no longer the newest guy. No, but I'm most assuredly on probation. Make no mistake about that. So one of the first questions I thought I would start off with was, how did you get your start in emergency services and where did you come up through the process? You know, a, a funny thing happened on the way to law school. <laughs> uh, I actually started out going to college at Franklin and Marshall College in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, with the full intent of going to law school. And uh, I had been planning on going to law school literally my entire life. Uh, I grew up uh, around courthouses, not in a bad way, but uh, around the legal profession. And I'd always had an interest in that. And I was like, oh, I'm going to law school. And that's just the way it was. I was a government major and I was on my way. And uh, I was working as a security guard on the summer between my sophomore and junior year at Franklin and Marshall College. Uh, and uh, they had a big giant craft fair. And there was an EMS unit on standby at this craft fair. And I, w I was bored. I walked over to the folks that were on the EMS unit. I'll never forget. It was Mannheim Township Volunteer Ambulance uh, in Lancaster County. Uh, ambulance 213. Uh, anyway, uh, and I said, uh, hey, uh, what what do you have to do to, to get involved in this? They said, oh, well, you got to take this EMT class. I said, okay, well, where do you do that? And they said, oh, you, you take it over at Lancaster General Hospital. I said, uh, I said okay. And... Uh, like literally on a whim, and uh, that fall semester, uh, I was uh, I was still in school. And this is in the late 1980s now, so this is going way back, right? Um, and uh, I took an EMT class, and it took about I don't know, 
took about one whole second for me to realize that uh, I really wanted to be involved with emergency services. Uh, so I took a semester off college, uh, worked full-time on a 911 EMS service, West End Ambulance, uh, in just outside of Lancaster City. They were based out of Millersville, uh, but they were the busiest uh, EMS unit in Lancaster County at the time. And, uh, and I started scouting around to see where I could finish my degree and become a paramedic because I knew I wanted to become a paramedic. So uh, I uh, found University of Maryland, Baltimore County. So I took all of my college credits, transferred them down to UMBC, enrolled in the uh, emergency health services paramedic program, uh, and I started volunteering in Anne Arundel County, Maryland, as a volunteer firefighter EMT with the Early Heights Volunteer Fire Company on Ritchie Highway in Anne Arundel County. I also did some, I, I got an opportunity to do a couple of really cool things during my time. Uh, I was an ER tech at Johns Hopkins University ER. Very, uh, very busy ER. Very busy ER. In a very bad part of the neighborhood. That's exactly Baltimore. right. East Baltimore, not the nicest place to be. Uh, looks a little different than the downtown waterfront district. Right. Uh, and it was, which is where shock trauma is. That's exactly right. Uh, and a lot of, I mean, it was a lot of knife and gun club and a lot, of, and it was a busy ER, you know, they, they were seeing well over a hundred thousand patients a year, uh, in the ER and the ER techs got to do basically everything, um, uh, because it's a teaching hospital. Uh, if and you they did a lot of pediatrics, oh too, yeah, because they yeah, yeah, shipped yeah. in a lot of pediatrics. They were, they were the pediatric trauma center. Um, and, and so you got to do a lot of really cool stuff. I'll give you a great example of some of the research that they did. Uh, so in 1988, researchers at Johns Hopkins University were doing cadaver lab testing on VEST CPR to develop, to, to assess the effectiveness of intrathoracic pressure as a result of compressing the entire thoracic cavity as opposed to doing manual CPR, which eventually became what is today the the devices that you see right. you know on the on the but, compression and that's the thing with the device like the autopulse which the zol has it's amazing in a cardiac arrest situation where you would normally see an end title between 7 and 17 you know maybe a little bit higher you put on this autopulse and now you're getting capnography in the 40s and 50s and I mean, it's just amazing stuff. You know, you're thinking, how is this going to lead to something, you know, dramatically different? And it was just incredible. So, um, so went to UMBC, uh, graduated from UMBC, became a nationally registered paramedic. I did uh, a, a lot of clinical time uh, on Frederick County, Maryland, Medic One, when it was an all-volunteer medic unit running 4,000 calls a year uh, out of one vehicle. Wow. Uh, yeah, covering the entire, all of Frederick County. So, and that was a lot of fun. I mean, that was just a, a ton of fun and a tremendous amount of experience. Uh, I had some great mentors there, a guy named Danny Hughes, who uh, eventually, uh, at the time, had just uh, was working as a paramedic in Prince George's County, Maryland, uh, on busy medic units and eventually became a paramedic captain uh, and just recently retired, uh, but a super, super guy. Uh, so, um, Graduated from school and, and moved back to Pennsylvania and got my very first job out of college, which was on a hospital-based paramedic unit in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, uh, Medic 28, uh, hospital-based ALS 911 service. So it was hospital-based paramedics, two on a chase car, uh, suburban, 
uh, with community-based basic life support ambulances, right. all volunteer. So all of the ambulances in the county were all volunteer, and then the hospital provided the paramedic. And at the time, that wasn't an uncommon structure in Pennsylvania. No, as a matter of fact, uh, Lancaster County, each of the hospitals had a hospital-based paramedic unit, St. Joe's, LGH, uh, Community Hospital, uh, and Ephrata Hospital all had medic units. Uh, York Hospital and Memorial Hospital in York County had hospital-based paramedic units. Same thing in West Shore. All over South Central PA, you right. saw that model of hospital-based paramedics. When you were talking about your time at UMBC, you talked about volunteering in Anne Arundel County. Well, at some point, you decided you were going to change or transition into a fire-based EMS system. That's right. That's exactly right. So uh, in 1992, uh, I had an opportunity to test uh, for Anne Arundel County. It was the first place I had ever tested for uh, with a career fire department, uh, and I was fortunate enough to get hired. And the main, really the main reason that I wanted to get hired there was that it had an extremely well-defined career ladder. Being a hospital-based paramedic affords you tremendous experience, great opportunities to do really cool stuff, but no career ladder. And you and I talked about this earlier today. It's really an issue within emergency medical services in a hospital-based systems. Paramedics often don't have a giant career ladder because there's just not the structure for an EMS provider within the hospital, uh, whereas it may be different in, a, in another setting, such as the fire service or a third service. And, you know, it, it's a challenge because even unless you're in one of the largest third service organizations out there, even then career advancement is a challenge. Right. So you really have to think about, you know, what where do you want your career to take you? Because invariably, a lot of the folks that I was a hospital-based paramedic with eventually became perfusionists or went to the cath lab or... Went to went to nursing school and then developed a career ladder a career ladder that way. So uh, I got hired by Anne Arundel County. Uh, I was a booter firefighter. I started out, went through rookie school. Uh, I had an opportunity to work on some some really great locations in Anne Arundel uh, and uh, worked my way up through the ranks. Uh, Twenty three years in Anne Arundel County. Uh, retired as a battalion chief, and I wasn't even looking for a job at the time that I retired. I I wasn't even looking. I had a great job. Life was great. Uh, I was really enjoying myself. Uh, and uh, I came home one day, and my wife had uh, found the job announcement for Loudoun County, Virginia, which was looking for two new assistant chiefs. And I, uh, I said, oh, that's really interesting. I said, but you know that I have a job, right? And she said, uh, she said yeah. She said, you need to apply for this one. I said, okay. Uh, and then um, I ignored it. Uh, for about two weeks. And about two weeks later, the job announcement ended up on top of my mail pile again. And she said, uh, did you see a job announcement? And I said, uh, yeah. I said, you know that I have a job, right? And uh, she said, uh, "She said, look, you, you need to apply for that job. She says, I think that your experience in a combination fire department can really help Loudoun County because they had just integrated their career and volunteer system. So and they did it extraordinarily well. I mean, they, they wrote an ordinance that is just a model for every combination fire department in America. It, it really is. Um, they did a great job. So, um, and of course, at the time, uh, I didn't even know where Loudoun County was. I had to look it up <laughs> on a map. Like, I had heard about it. 
but I had to look it up on a map. So I looked it up and, and then I started doing some research and then I kind of got a little excited about it was the fastest growing jurisdiction in the United States. Uh, 33 people a day were moving into the county. It was just, it was tremendous opportunity. And Anne Arundel County had been a combination fire department since 1965. So they had a tremendous experience with building combination fire rescue services. So uh, then I applied for the job and uh, I was fortunate enough, uh, Keith Brower was the fire chief at that time and he gave me a, an incredible opportunity to come work in Loudoun County. Uh, great, great gig there. Um, just an amazing opportunity, tremendous people, uh, really outstanding stuff. Um, but it took me very far away from that which drew me to the fire service. You know, a long time ago, I, people would ask me what I did, and I told them I was a firefighter paramedic, and they were like, oh, that's got to be the greatest job in the world. And I said, yeah, it is. I said, if I ever had to wear a tie and sit in an office all day, I'd pretty well kill myself. Right. Yeah. How'd that work out for me? Well, you know, <laughs> right. you spend a lot of time sitting in an office. So you got to be careful what you wish for. So the lesson, um, having worked, having spent 28 years in two of the largest combination fire departments in America, the lesson that I learned is that for myself, being connected to the field and, and having the ability to be an operator is extraordinarily important to me. And I think you'll find that with anyone who knows the Harrisonburg Fire Department, and this goes back to as far as, you know, Chief Sifflett back in the 80s, that all of the deputy chiefs and fire chiefs within the department are responding to calls on a daily basis and a part of that operations piece and it, it's just it's just a normal day for them in doing what they do. That's exactly right. You know, and I, I became a nationally registered paramedic in 1990, and I have never let that lapse, and I will never let that lapse. That's a good thing. It, it, not ever. Um, you know, that, and that was probably, that was a, a clue also, because I went to Loudoun County with the full intention of becoming locally authorized, and I got so busy so fast doing my job that I literally had to recertify by examination the first time. Talk about having to retake your paramedic test. That's exactly right. So here I was, 26 years I'd been a paramedic. Yep. Okay. The last time I took the National Registry exam was 26 years before. Yep. And here I am sitting at the Pearson Learning Center taking my National Registry written examination again. So what are some of the things you got to do when you were in Anne Arundel County? So when I, uh, you know, when I was in Anne Arundel County, I got an opportunity to do some amazing things, just incredible opportunities. I served as the executive officer to two fire chiefs. I was the public information officer for the fire department for a period of time. Uh, I was uh, blessed to have the opportunity to initiate the RSI program in Anne Arundel County. And we were the first, Anne Arundel County was the first ground-based EMS service in Maryland to start RSI because at the time the only people that were doing RSI was Maryland State Police Aviation. And I don't, I don't think people realize how difficult it is to work within a state that has basically one set of protocols statewide, especially when you want to make changes. I mean, you can't just make changes locally that you think are in the best interest of your residents. You have to make the change for the entire state and so the process is often slow and the fact that you could take your process 
and other than the Maryland State Police be the first ones to initiate an RSI program statewide speaks not only highly for your program, but I know it was used as a model for many of the other localities within the state. And, it, and it's great stuff, you know, and, but you're absolutely right. The, the, really, the neat thing about having local medical directors here in Virginia is that they have local control, right. which is huge. We had the same thing in Pennsylvania because each paramedic unit, hospital-based, had its own medical director. And so to be able to do things was extraordinarily easy. So going from Pennsylvania to Maryland was a huge culture shock. I was like, what do you mean we're not doing nasal intubation? What do you mean we're not doing external jugulars? What do you mean you have to call for permission to give epi? I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Something's wrong here. <laughs> you it's, know. A it's a life-saving medication. I'm going to call for this? Yeah, it's exactly right. You know, so, um, so I just... I say all that uh, for no other reason than to, to articulate or to highlight the fact that when I was in Maryland and I was in the, the department, I got to do a lot of really neat stuff. Right. Um, and even though I was on a day-to-day -day basis, I spent a lot of my time at headquarters doing administrative work. I, I can relate. Yeah, exactly. I know you can. Yeah. Um, so, you know, coming here, so how did I end up here, right? Right. That's the obvious question. Yep. So I've actually been coming to the Valley for over 15 years because I've been blessed to be a part of the Mid-Atlantic Burn Camp for Kids, which holds their annual camp for burn survivors at Brethren Woods. Right, right here in Rockingham County. Right here. So it used to be held at Horizons. Right, uh, right next to it. That's exactly right, right next door. And then, and then we moved over to Brethren Woods. So I've been coming to the Valley for over 15 years for a week at a time. So... I know the Valley fairly well from that perspective. Uh, and it's been a great experience. Uh, love coming to camp. And everyone's been incredibly supportive of camp. So I would meet people on Visitor's Day, like Wanda. You know, Wanda and I met through burn camp. Right. Sa same thing with the folks from Rockingham County Fire Rescue who would bring fire apparatus out to the scene. People that would come out for Visitor's Day. Officer Mike, you know, from, from HPD, who is by far one of the most popular people at burn camp. And I don't, I don't know that a lot of people would say this about most police officers, but Officer Mike is one of the nicest guys you will ever meet. And then he is so tall. And this is, this is coming from a short guy. And he's, like, recently, like, he lost, like, 100 pounds. Oh, yeah. Because he used to be Big Mike. Right. Except he's not Big Mike anymore. He's tall Mike. He's tall Mike. But he's not Big Mike yeah. anymore. So, I mean, God bless him for, you know, for, for doing that health, you know, that health commitment. Just huge thing. Um. The other thing uh, that I'm very involved in is National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. And Chief Bennett has been involved with the foundation for a very long time. And that's actually how he and I met. Uh, he's the planning section chief for the Memorial Weekend held annually in October, uh, where all the families of fallen firefighters from the previous year come to Emmitsburg to have their family member honored right. uh, and uh, to help find that new normal that comes uh, after losing a, a loved one. And I'll tell you how my two worlds collided in just a minute. So he's the planning section chief. I, for the past 10 years, have been the family escort coordinator. So about 200 members of the fire service volunteer their time, come to the Memorial Weekend, and escort families through the Memorial Weekend process right. every year. So this is, this is, the, this is the, the unbelievable... Uh, parallel that comes to our worlds. 
So several years ago, Roy Smith Jr., a volunteer firefighter in Rockingham County, who is also was also a burn survivor, was a camper at Mid-Atlantic Burn Camp for Kids. And he had been working to become a, a volunteer firefighter. And he was active yeah. as a volunteer. Um, Roy was tragically killed. So, um, so here I have a kid who's been one of my campers at Mid-Atlantic Burn Camp, a very great young man. I mean, just nice kid, respectful, great kid. Loses his life as a volunteer firefighter. And now his entire family and I are now inextricably tied through the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. So, of course, Roy Smith, his dad, uh, and Roy's wife, Amy, uh, are also uh, involved with emergency services, of course. Uh, And so for the past several years, Roy and Amy have been coming to the Memorial Weekend to serve as family escorts. Oh, that's great. Which is amazing. Um, You know, when you think about sacrifice, and you think about you know how much, how much does a ha- does a person have to give? Roy is someone who took all of his grief over the unspeakable loss of a child, and has turned it into a tremendous positive because he's helping other families find that new normal. And we often pair him uh, and Amy with parents of a young firefighter who is killed in the line of duty every year because tragically that it happens again and again. And so invariably, regardless of the circumstances, there is some family who has lost a young firefighter. And so we put Roy and Amy with them because they can speak a language that nobody else can speak. Um, and it's just amazing. You know, so, so all of these things conspire. And for a really long time, uh, my wife and I have always talked about the fact that if we ever had a, an opportunity to come to the Valley permanently, that we would. So it only took 15 years, uh, which is, you know, in, in, you know, in, in actual time is not that long. I don't know. Uh, it, it's a long time though. It, it is. It's a long time, you know, um, but we, so th- this opportunity came up and, you know, the, the reality is that it was, um, it's, a, it's been a perfect Perfect timing. Well, the one thing anyone who spends any amount of time with you will agree, you're very, very passionate about the fire service, and you've already talked about the Fallen Firefighters Foundation, but I also know you spent some time as the health and safety officer for Anne Arundel County, and you're very dedicated to improving safety within the fire service industry-wide. So what are some of those things you're looking at doing to help improve the fire service as a whole. Sure, uh, and and thanks for uh, bringing that up. You know, I have had incredible fire service mentors, people who have shown me the way. And the reality is, and I think all of us have, someone showed us the way, you know, helped us to get to where we are. And for me, I know that I can never, ever repay those individuals. Like, there are no words that will ever express how appreciative I am for what they've done for me. So the only thing that I can do is to try to live my life in a way that brings credit to what they've done. Right. So uh, about probably 20 years ago, um, I got the opportunity to start hanging around with some really cool people in the fire service, some really huge people in the fire service, and they were always very focused on health and safety. 
So I got involved with the with the uh, safety, health, uh, and survival section of the International Association of Fire Chiefs. Eventually became the chair of the safety, health, and survival section. And during my time, made annual physicals the number one priority for the safety, health, and survival section. Because the one thing that researchers have told us is the leading cause of death among firefighters is cardiac-related events. And the best way to prevent that from occurring is to ensure that every firefighter gets an annual physical. Uh, Now, that alone doesn't prevent a person from having a heart attack, but it dramatically reduces the number of firefighters who are going to be unaware of the fact that they have an underlying heart problem that they're not even that they don't even know about. The other thing that, you know, firefighters more than anything else, firefighters want to be firefighters. And the only person who gets to tell a firefighter when they don't want to be a firefighter anymore is them. Right. Right? Um, self-determination is a huge part of being a firefighter, regardless whether you're career or volunteer, doesn't matter. Um, so it's all about self-determination. Well, the one thing that I don't think any firefighter would ever want is to know that a fellow firefighter died trying to rescue them because they themselves became a victim as a result of a medical condition. Right. And so for me, advocating for physicals is nothing more than reducing the likelihood that one of my fellow firefighters has to risk their lives to come get me. Right. Um, and that's a big deal. So really focusing on prevention uh, from the perspective of ensuring that firefighters are able to keep being firefighters. And that's what we talk about. When we talk about annual physicals, what we're, not, what we're talking about is not preventing you from being a firefighter. What we're talking about is identifying underlying medical conditions, fixing them so that you can be a firefighter for as long as you want. Right. So that's really been a, a kind of a singular focus. Uh, we, uh, when we were in Anne Arundel County, we were, we did uh, a significant amount of research about bringing annual physicals to our more than 500 volunteers, uh, in Loudoun County. Uh, I'm happy to say that in January of this year, we start, we implemented mandatory annual physicals for every operational volunteer in Loudoun County, which is a huge step forward. It is. Um, we were doing, we were already doing, physicals, candidate physicals. But once you became a member of the organization, we it was as if we stopped caring about you, right. which is not the case. Um, but it, it really resulted in a significant cultural shift. You know, the, the reality is you can be doing absolutely positively everything right and still suffer an LODD, right? right? The, you cannot engineer out all of the risk associated with being a firefighter. There's no way. We go out on the highway. There's risks associated with that. We respond to medical emergencies. There's risks associated with that. We respond to all kinds of unique incidents, and there are risks associated with those. You cannot avoid those risks other than not going on the call, which, of course, isn't an option. That's right. Right. And, you know, that's where, that's where technology can play a huge role in helping to keep firefighters safe. So a good example uh, City of Harrisonburg Fire Department has issued a thermal Im- has a thermal imager at every riding position in the city fire department. So thermal imagers, they are a tremendous tool. They are not unto themselves 
useful unless they're in the hands of a trained individual. And so having that training was at least as important, if not more so, than the imagers themselves. Um, and th- that's where technology can be a very significant positive. So we've been uh, talking for about 30 minutes now, and I've got five, ten more questions I'd love to ask you, and I'm sure there's plenty more other people would love to ask you. But in the remaining time that we have, what are your current short-term goals for you within the Harrisonburg Fire Department? So what I've been doing in my first 60 days is a lot of listening, and I'm going to continue to do that. Uh, the fact of the matter is that fires were being extinguished long before I ever showed up here. Uh, incidents were being handled, uh, and the organization was already a high-performing organization. So I think it's critically important for me to be respectful of our history, to learn our history. Um, not to be bound by it, but to learn it and be respectful of it. Uh, so my short-term goals are to continue to learn uh, we are, I've already done a series of listening sessions with all of the shifts, had dinner with all of them. Uh, my next round of uh, listening sessions is going to be focused on training. Uh, how do we, what do we like about our training that we should keep doing? What do we want to do with our training that we're not doing now? And what are we doing right now that maybe isn't as effective? Right. So three simple questions uh, that I'm asking right now. Uh, the other thing that I want to do is where I can, uh, I want to start offering some easy suggestions on ways that we can increase our connectivity with our community uh, through social media uh, and also ways that we can become more effective uh, from a safety perspective. The really amazing thing that I've seen so far, you know, I was on that on that five alarm structure fire the other day, and I was tremendously impressed by the fact that there was a decon corridor, uh, that there was a very stringent adherence to the accountability system, that there was very good fireground discipline from all the personnel. So here we have a five-alarm fire, probably once every five-year event or more. Uh, or more. Huge fire, resources from three counties, uh, big significant event, and it was this, it was as if everyone had been working together for years and years which tells me that the level of professionalism across the, the valley is extraordinarily high. So I'm really proud to be here. Uh, I look forward to talking to you some more. You know, there are some things that I do want to talk about some more, like um, ways to reduce our likelihood of obtaining occupational cancer. Um, and, and coming up in June, we've got Safety Stand Down Week with the focus this year on cancer. Uh, May is colon cancer awareness month and we know that we still don't have all of the cancers covered by state legislation when it comes to presumption that's exactly right uh and you know there are some simple things that we can do and we should talk about that during june so i look forward to the chance to come back uh and talk more about that but uh you know great stuff um you know that it's amazing to me for example that you know fire department headquarters is in a living museum like that is the that is an amazing thing when you think about it, you know, and, and Chief Shiflet has done a tremendous job of ensuring that we don't forget our history right. uh, because it's, it's in front of us every single day. So really excited to be here, looking forward to doing lots of cool things. Door is open. Uh, I look forward to the opportunity to spend time with people and learn as much as I can. All right. If people want to follow you, I, I know you don't do Facebook, but you do have a Twitter account. I do. It's true. Uh, you can follow me at Tobia698. 
uh, on Twitter. Uh, I also have, uh, I don't know, we have an Instagram account as well. The Harrisonburg Fire Department does have a Facebook page, and they're trying to grow the followers of it. They also have a Twitter account. It's at HFDVA. And they just started an Instagram account? At Harrisonburg FD. There you go. Uh, so we're looking to uh, increase our presence on social media. So please follow our fire department uh, on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram. We look forward to connecting with you. All right, Chief Tobia, thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. All right, that's our episode. The first one is done. I want to thank Deputy Chief Matt Tobia for spending some time with me. And uh, you can connect with Rocktown Emergencies. You can send me an email at rocktownemergencies at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. And if you have ideas for people you'd like me to talk to or topics you want me to find people to talk about, just send me a message and I'll be happy to do it. Thank you very much, and I hope everyone has a safe day.